The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Some weeks ago, Ian Wright and his beautiful family were sitting here in the River Cafe Garden, celebrating Nancy, his wife's birthday. Ruthie, the waiter said to me, please go and ask him to do a podcast, especially for all of us. We know he loves to eat, but we want to know more about him. He is our hero. Ian does a lot that I could never dream of achieving. For instance, kicking footballs into nets. But we do share a lot as well. Concern for healthy eating for children, advocacy for social justice, a more fair society, and an end to racial discrimination. Today on Table 4, we're going to get to know each other better, discussing all this and more, including having delicious lunches with our family. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. No, it's and a you're going to stay for lunch? Are you? Yes, yes. Okay. Deep fried zucchini flowers. Okay. 12 male zucchini flowers, sunflower oil for deep frying. 225 grams plain flour, four tablespoons extra virgin olive oil, 300 millimeters of warm water, sea salt, freshly ground black pepper, four large egg whites. Um, for batter, you have to sieve the flour in a large bowl, pour the olive oil into a well in the center and slowly stir with a wide spoon to combine the flour into the oil. See, these are the kind of things where, because I'm not a great cook, these, I'm, I'm nervous about this. You add a little warm water until the batter is the consistency of double cream. Like season and let it stand for at least two hours. Eat the sunflower oil to 180 centigrade. That's roast. Wow. Just before cooking, beat the egg white until stiff and fold into the batter. Yeah, and I was speaking to... To Louis. Oh, yeah. The, the, the chef. chef. And he was telling me about how much he has to beat the egg whites up. So then when you know that they're done, you, you, you can turn it around and then they don't fall out, which I thought was pretty cool. So, Put it um, over your head. Yes, and it doesn't fall out, which is really <laughs> cool. Hi, I'm Louis. I'm a chef at the River Cafe. And today we're going to be making deep fried zucchini flowers with Ian Wright. Nice one, Lou. <laughs> Look forward to it. So basically uh, what we've done is we've made a batter with zero, zero flour, olive oil, and some like ice cold water, uh, and then we'll fold through some whipped up egg whites. Yes. So you want to whip them until they're you know stiff. You can hold a bowl up up, up above your head and they won't fall out. Wow. Um, and that really helps to like puff up the batter and like makes them go helps with like the crispiness. We get these amazing zucchini flowers in from from Italy. They're really fresh, vibrant. Yeah. These these would have been plucked, plucked off of the. You know the crop within the within the last day or two, mm. um, and yeah, we'll dunk these in the batter, fry them for um, a minute at 190 degrees, mm. and then they're just really delicious with a big pinch of salt and a wedge of lemon. When I first saw them, I was like, "What? What are those about?" Yeah. And then you taste them; they almost like they kind of they almost melt in your mouth. Yeah, they kind exactly. of like dissolve. You know, they're very easy to continue just eating them. I only make zucchini flowers when we're in, we're in Italy because you get them. We go and pick them from the garden, right? And then we fry them. And they're so kid, beautiful, aren't they're they? They're so beautiful, and I think it's what children really love to do because mm. 
ultimately it sounds perhaps more complicated than it is because basically what you're doing is you're making a batter, folding the egg whites into mm -hmm. that, and then you have the flours, you dip them in, and I like very little batter on them because it's the flour that's mm -hmm. so delicate. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what 180 degrees is when I'm frying oil. So what you do is you just heat it for a long time, and then when you put the flour in, it sizzles. Yes. And if it doesn't sizzle, it's probably not, not uh, ready. But so it yeah. does look like I have to probably write a new cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm prepared to do that. But tell me about your – because you do love to eat out, don't yes. you? Yes. I see you here, and you always seem so happy. Yeah. Did you eat out as a child? No. This okay. is probably why I love eating out so much. I didn't actually start eating out until, obviously, I think – I. Probably 21, yeah. 21, 22. Yeah. Didn't have a lot of experiences of going to, to restaurants. And and even when I started doing that, um, I only I started eating pasta very late in my life. Yeah. Never, my mum never, there wasn't a lot of variety. It was yeah. a lot of West Indian Fair food. Enough. It was stew chicken. It was curry goat, mutton, tripe, mm. pig's trotters, oxtail, white rice, yeah. rice with peas, um, boiled dumplings. So it was that kind of food mm. all the way up until that point. And I remember when I started playing football with Crystal Palace, um, I used to get very nervous mm -hmm. about going to, like we used to have to go to hotels, we used to have to go to restaurants and communal, eat all yeah. of us together. And I was very um, insecure about it because sure. I didn't know, I didn't know food. Yeah. So, and then we had older players who were really, they're quite mean. Let's say things like, you know, I, you know you've got dauphinoise on there, you know, you've got yeah. sauté potatoes, yeah. and they'd say things like, you know, you don't even know how to spell dauphinoise. Mm. You know what I mean? Do you know what sauté potatoes are? Can you afford steak? Mm. So what I would do is I would, um, I would end up then getting my mum to make me something. I'd go down so the boss would see me, and then I'd say for a five minutes, and then I'd leave yeah. and get my food warmed up by the people in the kitchen, and I'd eat in my, in my hotel room. And that's what we used mm. to do when we was younger. We used to mm. all eat either in the bedroom or in the living room in front of television or stuff like that. Yeah. So I was more comfortable doing that. But my problem was insecurity mm -hmm. about ordering the food. Yeah. So, you know. It's, it's intimidating. It was, it, and it was intimidating, really intimidating to the point where the, the manager, I've done, I've done it a few, a few times, about three mm -hmm. or four times he didn't see me at dinner. And I remember in the morning he said, where, where are you? I'm not seeing you at, mm -hmm. uh, at the dinner. That's how I get together. And then I explained to him why. And then he... Um, he kind of sorted that out for me. Mm. He had a word with them, you know, obviously, you know, it didn't help because obviously yeah. when, when it's people... It's bullying. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it didn't help. But then I just, I just blasted through it. And so off mm. of the back of that, yeah. you know, you start to, because you get into a situation where you can go to nice restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so when I, go, I, I love it. So when you talk about being excellent at your sport, yeah. right? Being able to do what you do so mm -hmm. well and that you're on a team, uh, and then going to a mealtime yeah. was painful. Yes. And it was painful because you were made to feel you know, yeah. unable to feel a bit that. inferior, so, to be honest. I was, about, I was 21. In fact, I just turned 22 when I joined Crystal Palace. So it was very late for me. And a lot of my experiences started to come as learning on the job about yeah. mixing with people, different people, worldly yeah. people. Yeah. You know, knowing, you know, even just the, the knife and forks, from, sure. you know, outside in, yeah. you know, knowing what to do. You know, you sit there and sure. you're nervous. And so those were the kind of intimidating things about going to a restaurant or eating with people that used yeah. to really frighten me because I never. Yeah. We ate on our laps literally all the way through. And so it's, it's obviously Was like, your mother working? Was it? No. Uh, no. So no, no, no. was there a table where you could sit? No, the kitchen to... wasn't big enough for a table for the four of us. So it was my mum, it was my mum, my stepdad, my my older brother, uh, me and um, my sister. 
Right. So, you know, there wasn't enough space for all of us to sit and have that dinner and have that chat. We, ne- we never done that. Yeah. You know, and that's something that's happened to me later in my life. And your, your mother, you were describing, though, mm-hmm. the food that probably took quite a lot of effort to cook. So would she cook that all day or would she have a job? And then no, no, no. She, no, she didn't work. Mm. Um, she didn't work, but her, she did cook the food, obviously, from the morning. The thing is, we didn't eat a lot of food. You know, I didn't eat, like, breakfast. Like, I could skip those, no problem. Was that you know, because you couldn't afford it? No, it would have been there, but, like, I wasn't used to having it, you know. And mm-hmm. you, we could literally go up and, you know, you can have cereal if you want or for lunch, you know, you, you can have it if you want. But, like, mm-hmm. I found that probably because I was out playing football all day or doing yeah. so all day, I, it didn't bother me to eat breakfast, eat lunch, but the dinner was something that was always there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very repetitious of everything that we always had. We, was, mm. we, you know, we had rice and peas and chicken on a Sunday. You had soup on a Saturday, mutton, curry goat, curried mutton and stuff like that, white rice, rice and peas. And that is the diet all the way through. I didn't start mm. eating pasta till I was like mm. 21. Because mm. when I was at school, you used to see little pasta bits that they used to have in school. Like you used to draw patterns around them, mm. fusilli and penne mm. and all that mm. sort of stuff. And so I didn't see that as something that, we should be eating. You'd go to some people's houses and their parents would make macaroni cheese mm-hmm, with, the, mm-hmm. with the Sunday rice and peas. But we, my mum never made that. So I wasn't very good with anything that my mum didn't make. She didn't make a lot of vegetables mm-hmm. for us. There was a, we used to get some callaloo when we was younger, West Indian um, callaloo, like a green cabbagey thing. But I didn't eat a lot of stuff because school mm-hmm. dinners for me were a nightmare. Why were they a nightmare? They were, it was so bland. It was so, right. so plain. And everything that my mum, my mum cooked with a lot of seasoning. So this is why, as you know, as time went by, even when I'm sure we'll get onto it when with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, eating bland food is very, very difficult for me. Is it? It has to be seasoned or some form of taste. Yeah. You know, I need to have that. So, you know, that is something that my mum done a lot. And so anywhere I went to eat, if it wasn't seasoned properly, I could easily not eat the food. Um, did you qualify for free school lunches? Or? Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. Which was obviously, yeah. it, and again, it had its own um, drawbacks. But yeah. I, was, I was never bothered about being teased for that. And you were teased for that? Yeah, you teased for that. Because one of the things I always used to wonder what they, why they did it was you, you, you had to queue up in a different it's line. Shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and um, it was always, you know, you, you get people who, you know, kids are kids, aren't they? Mm. They just tease you and stuff like that. And what was what I used to get a lot of teasing for, because obviously I was quite good at the football at the time. So they'd find, find mm. something that they can use against me mm. to, to try and make me feel bad and insecure. And it used to work. Horrible. So some of the times I, re- I used to wait and wait and wait. Um, and then I'd go and do it. And then if people tease you, you just get on with it, mm. you know. Was this an inner city school in London? Yeah, in, yeah. Um, we, we, I went to a school called Samuel Pepys in Broccoli. Right. I loved the school. So you did, even I, though I did. you had such... Yeah, because, like, you know, my friends, you know, and I could play football. Yeah, you, you know. yeah if you have a skill. Yeah, it was a thing, because, yeah, because my problem was when I was younger was um, my attention span in the classroom mm. wasn't very good at all. Mm. Mm. And when I couldn't grasp what they were doing, I'd get a bit, bit yeah. disruptive. And yeah. this is, you know, that was I think a it's much more recognised yeah. now. But know? then what they used to do is they used to say, if you don't start paying attention more, it's an, you know, you're not going to be able to play football. Oh, they'd the punish side. you that way. Yeah, and so that, that was another massive worry for me because yeah. it wasn't because I was just being disruptive for being disruptive. It's mm. just that I couldn't grasp no, of course. Yeah. the lesson as quickly as yeah. other people. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, now I, I understand it more, but like, yeah... <laughs> The food, again, going back, one of the things I did love about um, school was 
desserts and afters because we, we never had anything like that. You might have had digestive biscuits when we were younger and chocolate biscuits every now and then, but it wasn't very, we didn't have them a lot. Yeah. You know, you go to your friend's house and they would have all sorts of like stuff in their larder in their kitchen, but we never had that. So school dessert, like school puddings was amazing. <laughs> you know? What were they? So apple pie. Mm-hmm. And custard, mm. you know, because I didn't eat custard for a while because obviously it didn't have it at home, so I didn't like that. So I used to always have the sponge on its own. I used to have the apple pie on its own. Then you'd have the sponge with the jam and the coconut on the top of it, you yeah. know, an apple crumble. Honestly, I used to look so forward to it. And I remember I used to have a friend who used to give me all these sponges because he didn't like sponge. Mm. And then there was a time I used to give him all the apple pies and all that, that kind of pastry on. And then I remember one day I just said to him, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna taste it because mm. I never tasted it, you know. And then I tasted it with the custard, and I just I said I'm not, I can't give it to you no yeah. more. I like it too. Much. This is too good. Yeah. Did your mother grow up in poverty? Yeah, she grew up. Yeah, in Jamaica, it was very yeah. tough. Um, very tough. She grew up with like seven, eight siblings. You yeah. know, it's quite tough. She had to me. She had to move out and go and live with um, with my aunt, who didn't treat her very well. And that was one of the things as well. I didn't get to to really find out the deep-rooted problems with my mum's, mm-hmm. with my mum's, like, mental health and everything, what she went through. Because you'd be sitting down just watching the television and then, you know, my mum would just burst out crying. She just, you'd just see tears just coming down her face. But yeah. as time went by, obviously, you know, people always talk about my stuff, my Desert Island disc, and I tried to be yes. as candid as I possibly could. But I just remember how she used to be, she was so, she was so sad inside um, kind of took it out on mm. on me and, and and my brothers and sisters and that, but like never ever spoke about what happened to her to the point yeah. where some of the time she spoke to me about her aunt and my cousin Ali Alvan mm-hmm. Alvan his name was Alvan yeah and his um, his mum was re- she was really nasty to my mum yeah you know when she used to tell the story she'd burst into tears talking about that sort of stuff so that kind of abuse leaves scars it does you know and I think it does. that was maybe the way. She had trouble expressing her love, as you spoke about, you know. Well, the thing of it is, Rufus, she always made sure there was a, a meal on yeah. there for us. Yeah. You, know, we, you know, we didn't have, a, like, the greatest clothes in that, but the clothes were clean, everything was nice, you know, our house was presentable, everything was nice, but, you know, she, she, she just didn't have much. She Very didn't tough. have much. Yeah, Very it was tough. tough. You talk about your Jamaican mm-hmm. uh, family, your mother coming from Jamaica, mm-hmm. leaving her family mm-hmm. in Jamaica, or did they come with no, her? No, no, they left. They left. So she left. She left. How home, old yeah. was she? She probably was when she came out. She came out in the Windrush generation. Um, so she came here in, I think it's 58. Right. You know, so, um, and she came on her own. How old was she? My mum was born 1933. In fact, she might have been born earlier than 33 then. Because, uh-huh. like, when she died, she was 94. Right. But, like, um, she came in that generation, you know, um, and she came and stayed with friends, and it just went from there. So she had no family at all? Not here, just like friends and acquaintances. Yeah. There was a couple of um, long-distance cousins who were, who were here as well. They came in, in and around the same time. And so they met up. So this is why I grew up in and around Broccoli, Lewisham, Deptford, right. New Cross, all that. So that's where everybody yeah. everybody. Did you ever was. go back to Jamaica? Have you yeah. been back? Yeah, I used to go a lot. When I was at Crystal Palace in 85, you know, like I say, when I, start, when I was able to to afford to do that because the first time I went on, a, on an aeroplane was with, with Crystal Palace. Yeah. You know, I was 20, I was just turned 22 and we actually, finally, we went to Qatar. It was amazing. Oh, did you? Yeah. Really? It was uh, unbelievable. And, but, but we flew over the Alps and that. Yeah. And it was like, obviously the first time I was on a plane, I, I just couldn't believe it. Were I, you fr- frightened? I was really f- afraid, yeah, because 
most of the trip I was thinking, how does this stay up? Does it stay <laughs> up here? I still think that. You know, and I remember yeah. like, again, like we had those, um, those, the older guys who obviously they knew, you know, this is the first time. All this experience was, was new to me. And like, I, I think back on these experiences and they were amazing, but like, it's, always, it's always tinged with their nastiness mm. because I remember mm. one of the things that they said to me, which I'll never forget, um, was you, you have to be, you're most afraid when you're on a plane of 30 seconds before you take off and the 30 seconds before you land. And and to this day, I still have anxiety yeah. about that. Can I ask you if, it, if um, when you were started out, was uh, the bullying, was it racist, do you think? Yeah, yeah. A lot were there of, other well, black it was, it players was, in the team? Yeah, there was. Me, Tony Finnegan, um, Andy Gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Henry Hewton was there at the time as well. But yeah, the, the racism was pretty was it, it bad. Was, it was very. It, yeah. it was accepted. It was nowhere near what it's like so now. So the cruelty was from the white players. It was from the white players yeah. and the older players. You know, obviously the younger guys who were in and around the same age as us mm. sympathised with us. They didn't mm. like it, but it wasn't a time where you could stand up to that kind of um, that kind of presence in the dressing room because those this guys would experience. That would have been eighty five between eighty five right. and. Mm. You know, 85 yeah. until. Yeah. Has it changed? Yeah. It's changed a lot because now what's happened is, is that there's allies. Yeah. You know, yeah. black people don't, don't don't want racism. Yeah. You know, if it was up to black people for racism to, yeah. to stop, it, it yeah, wouldn't be there. Yeah. You know, but what you have to understand is, is that without white people, white, white allies, you're not going to shift it. You're not going to yeah. make a, a move on the dial. Yeah. And what's happening now is that there are more allies. There are more people who speak out. There are more people that now... I'm more than willing to put themselves, to put their heads above the parapet and say things that you could never say. One before. of the great, great memories, and I'm, I'm much older than you, but one of the really defining memories of my life was watching the Olympic Games in Mexico when the three when the, uh, runners the, the took the salute. Yeah, yeah. yeah the salute. And that, that taught me, I mean, my parents were already, you know, uh, they went south, mm. you know, the civil rights. My brother yeah. was arrested in Mississippi. We were very liberal. Yeah thinking family, but seeing the power of that salute. And their lives were ruined, by the Absolutely way. ruined. They never ran again. Yeah, you know? never ran again. Um, when they went back, they were ostracized back in mm, America. Mm. You know, it was, um, it was a sad state of affairs, but like, it was a tragedy, mm. really. But what, when you look at what it done and that mm-hmm. symbol and how powerful that symbol mm, is, you know, you mm. look at the guys now, they're taking the knee, the girls as well, where they're playing. Yeah, yeah. They're taking the knee and people say, well, it's, it's run its course. It doesn't, it's got no... Mm. It's got no effect. People are not taking it. What has, when yeah. you talk about racism, you know, what has, as an, has, has had an effect? And you have to look at it and you have to say, you have to let people still know that you will stand yeah. against yeah. it. And this is what's happening now. You've got kids at their little football matches. They will take the knee. They'll do it on their little football pitches mm. because they are aware of it. And mm. that, that, changes. that is how it changes. Yeah. You know, education mm. is the way because... If someone's ignorant to something, they're gonna be they're gonna be against it. When you mm-hmm. teach them what's mm-hmm. going on and they understand it, you can mm-hmm. no longer be ignorant to it. Mm-hmm. You know, racism is ignorance. If you reach people, teach people, they they they'll lose their ignorance. When did you think it really started changing? Was it when when they also realized that black Floyd. players were really important? I think, oh, there's recently. I that? think I think when it really caught hold of the world. Um, and people really started to say, well, 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 enough is enough. Obviously, mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick taking the knee for injustice and inequality. But like George Floyd, mm-hmm. the death of George Floyd really brought it to people's attention that, no, 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 come on now. Mm-hmm. You know, come on. Are there places that you wouldn't play? In respects of, I would, there's nowhere that I wouldn't play. 
mm. because I feel that, um, again, you have to play. You know, I've been in stadiums where people have, have targeted you. Mm. I've watched my son being targeted, my friends. I've, I've, it's happened to me in stadiums in England and abroad. Mm. And there's no way I wouldn't play. But I must say that um, if I was playing now and it happened like we're seeing it happen now, they should walk off. But you can't walk off yourself. Your team has to walk off. Yeah. And would that happen? I think that's going to happen mm. at some stage. Mm. I think that's going to happen pretty soon. It's going to happen sooner rather than later because I feel like I say the allies and the guys, great people, Harry Kane, you know, mm. Jordan Henderson, mm. all these guys, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, great footballers, great white players who they won't take that and they will stand in solidarity with their teammates. And mm. that is going to happen sooner rather than later because if I was mm. playing now, I would continue to take the knee. Mm. And if I got racially abused on yeah. a football pitch, whether yeah. it is abroad or here, Good. I would hope mm. that my teammates would walk off with me mm. because my character, my personality, I would do that now because the power is there to do it. But back mm. in the day, it yeah. wasn't there. And you'd, you know, what it's like I saw just recently, there's a guy playing for Real Madrid who was getting like vilified, racially abused, Vinicius Jr. at Real Madrid. And you could see the pain he was going through to the point he just stood there and the tears just started to come down his face because mm. he was being racially abused. He was the one that got sent off after being racially abused and the crowd were abusing him, called monkey chants and stuff. And what I saw with him when he stood there and the tears coming down is something that I've, I've had to deal with myself mm. because you're, you're helpless, you feel humiliated, Mm. And like I said, there's nothing you mm. can do. Mm. And so that feeling is something that, you know, you don't want people yeah. to, have to, to have to go through, especially in this time at any time, but especially in these times when we could do something. There was a very long time ago, there was a presenter, you know, Michael Parkinson. Yes. And you've probably seen it yeah. on YouTube, but there was an interview between him. Muhammad Ali. And, no, with um, David Beckham and George Best. Oh, okay. George Best mm -hmm. was comparing, or actually David Beckham very respectfully said, I'm not going to talk on this couch. I want, you know, George Best, he should, he's the person we mm -hmm. all want to listen to. And what he said was, you know, he came from poverty, mm -hmm. or, you know, a very, very unprotected family. And he said there was no safety net for being famous. Mm -hmm. There was no safety net for being he was the first suddenly, best, yeah. 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 And that now there is a safety net for, for players, yeah. of, you know, of, of the big te teams or who become celebrities and that they're taken care of, they're looked after. And I think what you're saying is there, there may be now, they may have a safety net, but it might not include racism. No, but it will. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have that belief. Because mm -hmm. there's enough people out there fighting for it. Mm. You know, it's, it's totally different when you look at what George Best went through, Adulation, Beckham. We're looking at someone now who can ask Jack Grealish. Mm. It's going through the same. You're just hoping that, you know, we saw what Gaza went through and how it kind of like, what the effects it had on Gaza. Mm. But when you're getting that kind of adulation, that kind of love, that can affect you mm. in a certain way. I think David Beckham, obviously, you know, he's dealt with it very, very well. Yeah, Unbelievably, unfortunately, yeah. you know, yeah. Gaza uh, didn't yeah. deal with it so well. George Best was the first, like the fifth beat, or he didn't. Mm. He, was, he was paving the way, mm. for, you know. We were going to talk about Muhammad Ali. Well, yeah. I, I, it was uh, you were going to when I asked you. And, you know, again, another hero. No, the, the thing with, with Muhammad Ali, I remember when I was younger, it was the interview he had, and I even saw it again the other day with Michael Parkinson um, and how, you know, listening to somebody that everybody loved, mm. white people, everybody loved him the greatest, and listen to how he navigated that interview with Michael Parkinson and twisted him 
with intelligence. And, and I remember one of the things that stuck out in my mind was, in my memory, sorry, was him saying, listen, I can't, you can't beat me mentally and you can't beat me physically. Oh, and I remember, that. yeah, I remember listening to that. But like, what was good about it was it made me realise, you know, to see a, a very intelligent, black, great man there and obviously very learned black man. And, you know, that made you think, I want to be like that. I want to be able to to hold that conversation and, and put that back on you so as then we can have the conversation where we can move on and go to a better place. Mm. And that's what it was. He did, because uh, the, the questions that he was asking, it was almost like he was he was trying to, to test and belittle and that, and he was just too smart mm. for that. And that is why, you know, I remember meeting him one time in Brixton and we came over and he kissed my hand. And I, and I, I kissed his hand mm. and he kissed my hand back. And it was when he's just getting to the place where he's just a little bit slow yeah, and that. And yeah. it was a moment like, I don't know, touched me deep emotionally. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship. And when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help. H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp dot com slash Ruthie. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's that there? They are grilled marinated peppers which are, they're one of my favorite things that, just, that we're just starting to do. Right. They're on the menu every day now. So you blacken them off on the grill, steam them with a, you know, a lid over them, yes. peel them back, and then you marinate them with loads of vinegar. And is that just ready to go now? Yeah, that'll be ready right. to go. We might, we might Yeah, we'll that. definitely give you a taste. Yeah, I'll try one of those. Harry, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Thanks, Lou. Cheers. No worries. So when you were growing up mm -hmm. and you were in school and mm -hmm. you were having your school food and you were having difficulties, did you turn to any kind of food that would make you feel more comfortable? I'll tell you what I did absolutely adore is sometimes you might go around to your friend's house on a Sunday, maybe after football, and we didn't have roast because, like I say, we had, we had the rice and peas and chicken every Sunday without fail to the point where I remember 
smelling the peas in the morning and just burst into tears because I mm. <laughs> get the same thing. That's why I kind of went off kidney beans for many, many years. Mm. Because? I just, I just didn't like the size of them. I didn't like the color of them. I, I just, I just ate them too much to the point I used to separate them from the rice when we were younger. I remember going to my friend's house, my white friend Johnny's house, and he had Yorkshire pudding. Mm. I never tasted anything so nice in my life. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. That was something that I craved. And I remember I used to say to my mum, can we have Yorkshire pudding? Can we have Yorkshire pudding? She would never get it. Yeah. We'd, never, we'd never have it. You know, so obviously when I got older, you get to a point, especially once I you know, was able to afford it and stuff mm. like that. Because like I say, getting to 2021, I was still eating the same stuff, doing the same things. But then when you start to kind of branch out with your... With, with the world that I'm now traveling, with the football club and you're going to different places, different cultures, you start to eat different things. Mm. So now, I, you know, I will try everything. And like, the same with Nance, I have to try something new. Mm. One of the things of doing these podcasts and mm. these talking with people is that many of them do measure success through their ability to have choice of food. Yes. So they can go to a restaurant, yeah. they can order a good glass mm-hmm. of wine, they mm-hmm. can order... And it's it's quite gratifying to see that no one is entitled, yeah. you know, that people did not grow. Sam Taylor Wood, Sam Taylor Johnson now, mm. describes exactly like you being in a different queue for yeah. school food, mm-hmm. which we know, shockingly, still goes on today. Yeah, is- I don't know if they put them in, you know, but the, the, in separate lines, but the qualifications to, to have food. Mm. At the moment, we're working with a food group, and the aim mm. with Jamie Oliver is to give children more nutritious yes. food at lunch because we know they're not going to have dinner. Yes. And what state of society is that when you have to give children better food at lunchtime because that's the only meal of the day? Well, this is why, um, you know, I have to, I mentioned like, like M&S and I've got a campaign with M&S and the reason I like them so much is because they're making it very easy for people to know what's healthy. Mm. You know, they, they, what's good, they have an, an Eat Well flower sticker. You can go into the shop, you see that sticker and you know that, that is a, an healthy option for you. Right. And so that's why, you know what I mean, I kicked onto that because I didn't even realise when I was younger, eating healthy for me was not even... It, we, I was eating because mm. you're hungry and you're eating to satisfy that hunger to be full. Mm. But now, like I say, with the options, you can go there and you can, you can pick out something that is healthy because it's got the flour on it. You don't need to read through because it's, you know, and that is another thing, you know, Nancy went through that. My wife, Nancy went through all that. (coughs) Excuse me, when she went through that phase where, you know, I hate going shopping in the end with her because like she's reading everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's one of of the things what I believe that they should do all of the the, the big supermarkets is they should make that easier for people. Yeah. It's always in that tiny. Absolutely. They don't want you to see how many chemicals. Exactly. You know, in the something that you Yeah. Which is something we have to, we Mm. have to, everybody, uh, you have to make sure that we're shining a light on that Mm. because we're we're getting the obesity obesity rates, what they're talking about by by 2030 are going to be, we're apparently Mm. in England, we're going to be like the, 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 the most obese in Europe. Mm. We need to do something about and, that. And obesity is very often related to poverty. Yes. It's not, as you don't yes. see, if you, you don't walk it down mm. in Belgravia, you don't see people who are overweight. If you go into a poorer section of yes, London, you, you do. see people. You do. And that's because fast food, is, which is cheaper, mm. has huge calories. You know, and they, mm. they bulk it up. So I think it's, um, it's very important. Would you tell me mm. about Arsene Wenger? Wow. The thing with him, Rufi, is that he was a, um, how can I say, a visionary. Mm. 
uh, visionary in the way he came and changed the diet. What year are we talking about? 1996, 95, 96, mm-hmm. when he got there. And, you know, food for Arsene Wenger was fuel to perform. He came in and he changed the diet from steak and chips and anything you wanted to proper food, like mm. everything that is, is good for you. Mm-hmm. But the thing, what it was with all the vegetables and the rice and the chicken steamed, mm-hmm. you know, um, no seasoning, no salt, really? no salt, no, no seasoning, no nothing. All we could do is drink water and eat this bland food. Where was he from? It's kind of Austrian French. He's on that, that border. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, it, it's the first time I realized that it's not about liking what you're eating. It's mm-hmm. the fact that you, you have to be eating this right. for that slow sugar release that yeah. you need when you're performing at a level where you need your energy and your, your energy has to be there constantly. Mm-hmm. This is why sweet things and certain things that just shoot you up like that right. during the game, you'll have to come down because if you shoot up, you have to come down. So this is why pasta and, and broccoli and cabbage and carrots and all those vegetables, they give you that slow sugar that burns continually so you can stay at a certain level and you can right. continue to perform. And it was very difficult at the start, but like when you started to see everybody doing it and you could see, and obviously we had vitamins to go alongside that, but when you saw everybody starting to doing it and enjoying it, then they're taking it into their home lives. Mm. They do the same at home. Mm. And all of a sudden you're realizing this is for us to perform to the best of our ability mm. to the point where when you go to restaurants, you'd almost feel guilty mm. to have anything that wasn't going to enhance you. Yeah. You know, Arsene Wenger, he had no problems after the game for you to have a sugar rush, like a mm-hmm. donut or something. Mm-hmm. But then Monday, you've got to be back on that. Right. So because, tell me tell me about a day when mm. you know that you're going to have a very, very important game mm-hmm. and you wake up, you open mm. your eyes. So obviously, first you wake up and there's always water because with Arsene Wenger, you had to have water with you all the time, mm-hmm. right? You had to have very low-fat milk, you know, mm-hmm. just very skimmed milk. You could have cereal. You could have yogurt. You know, so I'd, I'd have something like that, you know, no juices, nothing. Nothing sugary. Nothing sugary, nothing mm-hmm. um, on match day. So I'd eat something like that. Some very light, um, skimmed milk, mm-hmm. maybe some no sugar on Rice Krispies. Right, right. Or, you know, or, or even bran flakes. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And that would take me through till, let me see. So we're probably, we're playing at three o'clock. So we have to be eating by 12. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what would we have? We'd all sit together and we'd have, we'd have um, fish which, and we'd have steak and you'd have rice um, and you'd have loads of like vegetables and water. That would be a and team that, like that, that about be, 12. Yeah, yeah, so you'd eat that, and then that just starts to release and, and, and just go into your system. Mm. And then you're just topping that up with water. Mm. And then at three, you're on the pitch, and you don't you do nothing except have water. Just water, and maybe it. one of those um, Lucas 80 drinks yeah, to give you a little bit of a, a sugary boost right, or right. stuff. But like the main thing was to, was to drink water. I can't, I can't emphasize yeah. how important yeah, it is to... Do you still drink, drink a lot of water? Yeah, I try. I try. I still don't drink as much as I should yeah. now. Do you lose weight when you're when you're a footballer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're you're lean. Yeah, Ruth, you're you're trim yeah. because remember you're doing all those that training. You're doing weights. You're doing the gym. You're when do you do that? You, in the morning, every day, every day, in the every morning, day. When you so wake up. so when you go to training again, you you have that for your breakfast, mm-hmm. and then you obviously you train from ten thirty to maybe one o'clock late mm. two o'clock depending on what stage of the season it's at 
you, you train really hard. It's tough. That's tough. And then what happens is, is that you realize that if you're not eating right, you're not taking the vitamins right, you will see that you are, you're lagging behind the guys who are doing it religiously. <laughs> to the point where, again, you go into a dressing room, Rufi, and, you know, it is very competitive. Very competitive, especially when you go into a dressing room where you're trying to attain and achieve yeah. everybody. There's, the margins are very small. For, yeah. Mm. We'd practice and we train to a level where we say, well, they better, they better be training as hard as we are because if not, we are going to destroy them. Yeah. And yeah. that is what we were striving for. And when Mr. Wenger's influence, did that reach other teams? Yeah, was that absolutely. something that yeah. anybody else realized well, did, what, that what you eat was what you are? Well, what happened, Rufi, is that um, when we started to meet up with the guys when we went to England, you know, to select players from our team and then from Chelsea and from Liverpool and from Man United, and when you all met up, they all wanted to know, what are you lot doing? Really? Really? What are you lot eating? What are you yeah. lot taking? Because yeah. our physio at the time... Was um <laughs> was was our physio was the England physio as well, and Alex Ferguson was quite upset about it because he didn't like the fact that our physio knew what Man United players were eating, what Chelsea were, and, and, mm. and he knew what to be able to tell Arsene Wenger, yeah. Yeah. so that he was really upset about that. But like um yeah, they you know you'd sit down around the dinner table, and they'd see us choosily picking what we want because obviously we've got our physio there, and he would make sure. You eat that, you eat that, you eat that. Make sure you're not eating that, this and that. And, you know what I mean? They would say, why aren't you eating this? And they'd say, well, just, we'll just eat this now. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The other day I was talking with a friend of mine who's an actor mm. and that there are actors who have to gain a huge amount of weight wow. for a part yeah. or, or put on bulk. bulk He's, yeah. A fr- friend of mine is going to be in a Marvel movie this summer and he, he has to eat 8,000 calories a day mm. to bulk up. You wow. know? But it's so scientific, you know, that it's not like he can have an ice cream sundae mm. or he can have whatever he can have, but it's nutrition yeah. now has is, is become a science. Um, to be a doctor doesn't depend on whether you're fat or thin. Mm-hmm. To be a teacher, mm-hmm. to be, but an athlete yes. and an actor mm-hmm. are the two kind of careers that actually, well, perhaps maybe an astronaut or whatever. But mm. that you, you are dependent on actually training yes. in, in a food and way, the discipline, to, Rufi, yeah. to continue to do it because, you know, you see these these great actors who who, who do that method. And they, they starve themselves, or like you mentioned, they mm. bulk themselves up. Mm. And like the regime for that is is right. exactly what yeah. we do for nine months. Mm. Because again, it's the margins. 
of what you're trying to achieve. And you know what I mean? Like you mentioned, you know, they've got a bowl cup and 8,000 calories. I can't even imagine, know. <laughs> you know, trying to eat that much. But you can imagine having to eat that much and not slipping up and not feeling yeah. one day, oh, I can't do this today. Mm. You have to. You have to. And tell me what you're doing now. Tell me what, what is in, in right day. Well, it depends. On, like when the season's on, um, you know, obviously it depends if you have to go and do match of the day up in Manchester or you have to go to Uxbridge um, to do the Premier League mm. or you have to go and do the work with the brands that I work with. Mm. Um, you know, it's the typical days, like for instance, let's, let's say I have to go to do match of the day. So the car will come and get you at eight o'clock. You've got all your research stuff that you read on the way up in the car. Mm. Then you get there and then you, you, you watch the games and people see you um, on the TV at 10.30 and then you talk about everything, what you've, you've told the researchers you want to go out there. So then mm. you do that, but it's a whole day. And food? Know, what, and f- what are you eating? Well, this is what I'm saying. It's, it, uh, um, with the food, you're able to order, f- order something in. And recently I found a really good West Indian shop, funnily enough, up there. I'll have that um, or I'll have salad, some good vegetables, some nice rice um, and stuff like that, some some fish. What about as a family? Do you sit down for family now we meals? No, do, absolutely. Yeah, Nancy, how, did you, yes. how do you do that? No, well, Nance will do the food. Um, so we're probably eating in and around a 6.30-ish, 6.37-ish. And you know what I mean? By the time it's all done, we, we sit down around the table mm. and we eat and it's something where we, we get to talk about what's going on, what's happening in school, what you're doing. Yeah. Why are you so moody today? Yeah. Why are you so miserable? What's going on? <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean, and I I love it. Yeah, I love that. Is, yeah, yeah I, I love that. Um, that we do sit down and and we eat now. And I didn't realize when I was younger how important that was. But obviously, friends used to do that a lot, and you know, you took it for granted that that is something that is yeah. a necessity. So you've just described a family that sits together, eats together, mm-hmm. talks about their moods, talks about their emotions, are asked questions yeah. about what they're feeling. And that comes from not a role model that you had growing up, mm-hmm. but for something that you and Nancy have created yeah. yourself. And tell me how that journey is. Well, that, that's something that um, I, I think back about it, Rufi, and I'm, it makes me quite sad because I look at, obviously, my mum, my relationship, I should say, with my brothers and my sisters. You know what I mean? We're, if we see each other, we see each other, we try and speak. You know, especially my brother Morris speaks to him a lot, not so much with my brother Nicky, and I don't speak to my... Sister Dion at, mm. at all, you know, we, we haven't got no, no, no connection to be together mm. like that. Obviously, I have to make a lot of effort to even just for my, my brother, you know what I mean? Even he's got his car the other day. I said, now, you, you know, you know, I'm busy, but just, just come mm. up, come up and see mm. us. Um, but like what I've learned from it is how, how communicative we are now yeah. and how that would have helped us if we was younger, mm-hmm. if the emphasis was on sitting there and speaking about stuff, mm-hmm. I could have maybe told her about some of the, the, the rubbish that I was going through mm. in respects of school and teasing and free meal. I don't know. Mm. But like now we can sit there with the girls and you're able to kind of like without them feeling like you're interrogating them, yeah. you can ease out yeah. what's going on at school. And my wife is unbelievable in respects of her. Mm. You know, her personality and how she is and how she grew up, always sitting together, yes. you know, with each other. So, you know, now that that is something that is it's ingrained now, you know, it's something that it, we have to do that now. Yeah. 
you know. What you're describing is something that you're doing for many, many young people who listen to you, who watch you, who need your words, and uh, your social impact, as I said, at the very, very beginning, from people, the young people who work in the restaurant. They're not easily impressed, yeah. I have to say, but they they really love it when you when you come in, when they see you and your kindness. And... I think it's a kind of inspiration for them, and it goes to then my next question, which mm -hmm. is, is a comfort to see yes. someone who has achieved mm -hmm. so much and is still, uh, you know, talking to to people who mm -hmm. want to listen to them. So, if I were going to ask you as our last question mm -hmm. before you go and have lunch, <laughs> is if you have a food that you do turn to not when you're hungry or you're tired or you, you know, want to share it with your children, but mm -hmm. something that you personally, pers Ian, want for comfort, what would you go for? Not at the moment. Um uh, with the like I mentioned MS earlier on, but they recently, especially the last I'd say eight nine months, Rufi, I'm obs I'm like obsessed with profiteroles and cream. Mm. I cannot stop. Mm. Do you like them with ice cream inside or mm, cream I, inside? No cream inside mm. with uh, with just just uh, just double cream or single cream. And for me to just have in the car, which um, Nancy will hear about it now, I buy those Cadbury's mini rolls with the raspberry. Oh raspberry. yeah. And, and, they've been around a long time, been, and they wrapped yeah. in little foil. Yeah, little yeah. foil, and those, those two at the moment okay. are. No matter how much I've eaten, if somebody offered me a mini roll, I'll take it. Okay. And if somebody like if 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 like if we're having lunch and one of the girls leave, I won't leave a profiterole on its own. No, it's like leaving a soldier behind. Okay. <laughs> if my girls don't eat it, I'll say you can't leave can't a soldier leave behind. That. Okay. that is that is basically it. I will remember that. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was you. really nice. And what a great, great hour we've had. And I hope we have many more hours together. You know what? I'm going to ask you a favor. Yes, certainly. Will you take me to a football game? Absolutely. You've got to come. And you know what? It's good because we're in the Champions League, Rufy. If you want to come, I'll take you to the to an Arsenal Champions League game. I am coming. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy to prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomai Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.